All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. We've been studying the Holy Spirit, and we'll continue to study the... We've been looking at this passage, Galatians chapter 5, for a couple weeks now, and, and, uh, and we're going to really kind of get into the fruit of the Spirit this morning and, uh, and look at them and kind of uh, really investigate at least that first one, uh, and that is the fruit of love, and that's a certainly an important... It's very obvious uh, and apparent in our society today of uh, the absolute lack of love. If you flip on the news, um, we're bombarded with everything that is completely opposed to that of love. Uh, that would be hatred, that would be envy, that would be strife, that would be all of those things, uh, crimes and hatred and uh, domestic violence and, and all of that really points to an evidence of a lack of love. And I'm not talking about, obviously, uh, you know, some of you might know uh, the, the let's all just love one another, you know. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about, and that's not what the Bible is talking about. But there is a severe lack of love uh, in our society today. And, uh, and we notice in our passage that we'll read here uh, that it is the very first fruit of the Spirit. And uh, so look with me in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22. We've looked at the list. We've looked at walking in the Spirit. We've looked at choosing to walk in the Spirit. And uh, let's see what the fruit is that is produced as a result of choosing to walk in the Spirit in our lives. The Bible says in Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And let's stop right there and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in your house around your word. God, thank you for uh, the privilege, really, of being a child uh, of God and being saved and being born again and having the Holy Spirit uh, live inside of us. God, I pray that you would bless the service this morning. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. And I pray, Father, that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. And, Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and that's very important to understand. This is, this is spiritual fruit. This is not something that we can just manufacture. Uh, but the very first one that's given in that list is love. And uh, I think that's important uh, because that characteristic <clears throat> flows from God through us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Clearly, the fruit of the Spirit illustrates our connection to Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me... Ye can do nothing. Uh, that's John 15, 5. And you know that parable. He's talking about uh, him being the vine and, and us being the branches. And what he's saying is, listen, if we're, not, if we're not tied into God, if we're not connected to God, we are not able to bear that fruit. Uh, you see, we've seen uh, in the past week, we had a lot of winds and storms and, 
and I've seen several limbs down, and one of the limbs I saw down, I was just amazed because it was browner than all get out. I mean, it was dead. And I think that thing probably wasn't healthy before it fell down, but uh, after it fell down, man, it just turned brown. I mean, it was completely brown. And, uh, and that's the same. Listen, in our life, if we're not connected to the vine, if we're not connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're not going to be able to bear that fruit. We've talked about choosing to uh, allowing God to work in our life. We, we've talked about allow, making choices and allowing the Spirit to reign in our life. Uh, and so that's kind of that disconnect that happens. And, and there is such a thing as carnal Christians, people who are saved. Uh, are they going to go to heaven? Yeah, they're going to go to heaven. They're not, they don't lose their salvation. Uh, but there are Christians uh, who are not bearing fruit. Because why? They're not plugged into the Lord Jesus Christ. And their life, as a result, uh, it does not bear the spiritual fruit. So we must remain uh, plugged in. We must remain connected. And, uh, and that's certainly important. God's love is not a love that we can plan or produce within ourselves. It comes from God. Uh, love is so much deeper than what we, uh, we make it out to be, but God's love is so much greater than anything that the world has ever known. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in Love dwelleth in God and God in him. It says in the chapter previous in 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Um, Listen, if you're saved and you're born again, you have experienced the love of God. You know uh, what the love of God is. It amazes me constantly now, I, I got saved when I was young, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, I praise the Lord. Uh, some of you, uh, you know what it is to, to live in the world. Maybe you got saved 20, maybe you got saved 30, 40, or 50, or later in life. And, and one thing that uh, maybe is a difference, we're both saved, but one of the differences is the perspective from which we see things. Uh, sometimes me, uh, having grown up in church my whole life, uh, I don't really fully understand the effects of sin and, and some of the things that can be really messed up in your life. Uh, and some, some of you got saved in later life. You're like, man, I am so thankful for God's love to me. Because you knew, you knew what life was without the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it's like to live in the world. You know what it's like to have that, the chains of sin wrapped around you and feel the constriction of that in your life. And so perhaps you have a greater appreciation uh, for, the, for God's love towards us than maybe somebody who has always just kind of grown up understanding that God loves me uh, and God cares about me. But man, to know the, the, the depth and, and greatness of God's love, that's the idea of love that the Bible portrays. And uh, the world truly does not understand what love is. Uh, it, it's, you can look around and you can see in our society the way that the society portrays love. Uh, and they, they portray it in a complete different light uh, from what the Bible proclaims as love. So the first thing I want us to do is I want to give a definition 
of love. What is a definition of love? Now, the definition of the dictionary gives us uh, three things. As a matter of fact, I, I wrote that down here. Or I, rather, I would, before we get to the dictionary definition, I would define love in three ways. And, uh, and they all start with S, so they make it easier, okay? The first one's sensual. The second one is sentimental. And the third one is spiritual. And so sensual, obviously, is a superficial love. Uh, and it doesn't always mean sexual. Uh, sensual actually means to be able to, to uh, have the sense of touch. And so it could be taste. You say, I love ice cream. I love ice cream and I love chocolate. And those are a sensual. It is something that you can sense. It's something that you can taste. And so that is a uh, one form uh, of love. And we use that often. And, and it is true as well that it does speak towards the sexual desire. There's no doubt about that. That is a sense. Uh, but then there's a sentimental. And that's an emotional attachment, a feeling of love in which you would say, uh, man, I just, I love my pet dog or my pet cat. And you got dog lovers and cat lovers, and sometimes they're uh, adamant one to another about which is better. And, and then you got my daughter, and she loves her pet rabbit, a stinking rabbit. It doesn't even come when they're called. Um, and, and so I don't really understand a pet rabbit. But, but you grow a sentimental attachment to a, a pet that you have. Uh, and so there's a sentiment of attachment there. And then there's a spiritual love. And, and this concerns, uh, this is a concern that drives you to action. Now, Webster's Dictionary, the 1828, gives a very lengthy definition. And I, I printed it out and wrote it down. And I thought it'd be good to read this. In love is two, two things. It's a verb and it's a noun for you uh, English scholars that like that stuff. I kind of enjoy it because I learned Spanish. But uh, in the verb definition, it says this, in a general sense, to be pleased with, to regard with affection on account of some qualities which excite pleasing sensations or desire of gratification. We love a friend on account of some quality which gives us pleasure in his society. We love a man who has done us a favor, in which case gratitude enters into the composition of our affection. So we would love somebody for doing something for us. That would be uh, in, out of gratitude. We love our parents and our children on account of their connection with us and on account of many qualities which please us. We love to retire to a cool shade in the summer. In other words, we love uh, the coolness or the air conditioning. And we've had a couple hot days, and you say, man, I love my air conditioning, all right? And, uh, and some of you are, uh, feel that way. Uh, we love a warm room in winter. Uh, we love to hear an eloquent advocate, advocate. Uh, in other words, somebody who can speak and, and advocate well. Uh, the Christian loves his Bible. In short, we love whatever gives us pleasure and delight, whether animal or intellect. And if our hearts are right, we love God above all things as the sum of all excellence and all the attributes which can communicate happiness to intelligent beings. In other words, the Christian loves God with with the love of complacency in his attributes, the love of benevolence toward the interest of his kingdom, and the love of gratitude for favors received. That's quite a lengthy definition. How many of you memorize that? Um, 
don't worry, there's no quiz, all right? And so I'm not going to ask you to write down the, the definition of love. That's just the verb. We haven't even touched the noun yet. Uh, the noun he writes equally as, as long. And, uh, and it's interesting because he really covers all the aspects of it. Uh, and, and if you think about those three things that I gave you, sensual, sentimental, and spiritual, uh, think about this, that God made us uh, in three parts, just like God is uh, three in one. He made man in his image, and we are body, soul, and spirit. And so those three things go together with this definition of love. And, and the noun, uh, it's similar but a little bit different. An affection of the mind excited by beauty and worth of any kind, or by the qualities of an object which communicate pleasure, sensual, or intellect. It is opposed to hatred. Love between the sexes is a compound affection consisting of esteem, benevolence, and animal desire. Love is excited by pleasing qualities of any kind, as by kindness, benevolence, charity, and by the qualities which render social, uh, social uh, conversation agreeable. In the latter case, love is ardent friendship or a strong attachment springing from goodwill and esteem and the pleasure derived from the company, civilities, and kindness of others. And so you kind of get the idea. Uh, of, of love as they have defined it in the dictionary. And uh, it's important to understand what love is as we look at this, uh, but that is a dictionary definition. What I'd like us to do is what does the Bible say about love? How does the Bible define love? Because God's love is the fruit of the Spirit that's going to be portrayed through us. And so what is God's love? Turn with me. Well, yeah, go there. You can go there real quick. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 and verse 8. We're just going to read the one verse there. Um, we used to sing this in Sunday school. Maybe it was junior church. Maybe it was teen class. I don't recall. But I, re I do remember singing this as a child. The Bible says in First John 4, 8, uh, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is Love. We read verse 16 a little bit earlier, and it says, And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. And we find that uh, love is defined by the fact that God is love. There's a good definition. There's a good Bible de definition for us. Um, and what does that love do? Uh, that love will drive to an action. Uh, a verse we all know, John 3.16, not 1 John 3.16, but rather the Gospel of John 3.16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Um, and God's love is a love that will give sacrificially. Uh, and so God is love, and God's love is a love that will give sacrificially. We're defining love based on the Bible and some of the attributes because God is love. And so uh, apparently we have to define it based on who God is. And God is a God that loves and God is a God that gives sacrificially. Uh, I'm always amazed and I'll, I'll forever be amazed, to be honest with you, that God would send Jesus Christ, His own Son, to this world. 
Um, the fact that we look at mankind, you know you, I know me, and we all know uh, that, that we're sinners. Deep down inside of us, we are, we're sinners. The Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. In other words, anything good that we could muster up is, is filthy rags before God. But yet for those filthy rags, God said, I love those people. In spite of those filthy rags, maybe I should say. And he looks at us and he says, I care about you. I've heard many illustrations, but uh, uh, there's some amazing illustrations that really just touch home with with some of this. And and if you think about uh, the fact that God loves us for who we are, it really is amazing. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. And I want you to see this. We'll read a few verses here. We're defining love, and we're defining love according to Scripture. Uh, God is love, and God's love gives sacrificially. But not only that, I want you to notice this about the love of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 35, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 35, we'll find out that God's love knows no end. There is no bounds or limits to God's love. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 8, And verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So he's talking about the love of Christ. He defines that in verse 35. uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he says, goes on and he names several things. And he says, listen, uh, these aren't able to separate us. He said, we are more than conquerors uh, through him that loved us. And then he goes on in verse 38. And he says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that's a wonderful verse right there. To think of the fact that, hey, there is absolutely nothing that can sever the love of God for your life. What an important aspect. And God's love is, God is love, God's love is sacrificial, and God's love knows no man, or knows knows no end, excuse me. Um, And there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. There's there's nothing. Uh, Listen, when you die, if you're a child of God and you're saved and you're born again, hey, we're going up to heaven for all of eternity. That's not going to separate us from uh, the love of God. And it says in, those, in verse 38 there, it says um, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, the Bible says. In other words, there's nothing on this earth present time, uh, in this present moment, that can separate us. But I'm glad it doesn't stop there, because listen, if it stopped there, something in the future might come along that actually could separate us from the love of God. But the fact of the matter is, he goes on and he says this in the following, nor things to come. 
In other words, he's saying, hey, there's nothing even in the future that will be able to separate you from the love of God. You are safe and you are secure in the very love of God. What an amazing definition of God's love. You think about that and how God loves us unconditionally. And we think about that and we think about Let's flip it around and let's go, let's think just for a moment about man's love towards God. God loves us unconditionally. God loved us before we were saved. God loved us uh, while we were in our sins and while we were in our wickedness. And God will continue to love us for all of eternity. God cares about us. But turn it around and say, wait a minute, what about man's love towards God? Because it's great that God loves us. We're grateful for that. But how much do we love God? That's the same question that Jesus asked Peter. You remember Peter uh, towards the end after uh, Jesus had already died on the cross and he had already resurrected from the grave. And go with me there to John chapter 21. This is an amazing passage in all reality. John chapter 21. John 21 and verse number 15. And Jesus is questioning Peter. And look at what he says there. I will not read the whole passage for sake of time. But he says there in verse number 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse number 16. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Three times you can see the last time Peter's kind of uh, maybe smitten in the heart or or aggravated or frustrated or uh, some other feeling. We don't really know exactly what Peter was feeling, but I can tell you this, that Peter denied the Lord three times. Is it coincidental that Jesus then turns around and asks Peter three times, Lovest thou me? Well, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, Lovest thou me? Well, Lord, you know I love you. And he goes on again a third time, Do you love me, Peter? And I don't know if it came back to Peter's mind those three times that he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you were with him, not me. I'm not one of his disciples. Yeah, surely. I mean, you, you talk like him. Not me. I'm not one of his disciples. And that third time. And I don't know if that came back to Peter's mind as Jesus was asking him, lovest thou me? But I do know this. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus Christ asked him three different times, do you love 
me. Uh, and he said, feed my sheep. And listen, uh, sometimes our love for God can grow and, and wane, and sometimes it's, it's strong, and sometimes it's weak. And I, I do know this, that we need to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe it was a threefold question. Maybe Jesus asked Peter three times because of the idea of body, soul, and spirit. Uh, maybe he's saying, listen, I know you, uh, you physically love me. Uh, and listen, many people physically love Jesus because, uh, because he fed them. You think about the multitudes that were fed. Matter of fact, at one point when all those 5,000 uh, had been fed, uh, they, they followed him and, and, and he told them outright, he said, you, you are following me because I gave you food. And there was a physical, uh, physical pleasing that was there of them being fed. Their body had been fed. Uh, and maybe it was uh, the soul and, and that he had emotionally grown attached to the Lord Jesus Christ for the past three and a half years as he walked with him and ministered with him. No doubt he had become close friends with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and maybe it was that emotional bond. But what God was really wanting to know and what Jesus was really driving to is, listen, Peter, do you love me? on a spiritual level that you would sacrifice for me as God did for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it's a much deeper love. So we're just talking about the definition of love and we can see the definition in the dictionary and the definition of scripture. But I want us to see a description of love in the Bible as well. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You cannot address the topic of love without, uh, without covering 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 that covers this so well. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, I took way too much time on the definition. The description of love, this is an amazing passage in, in all reality. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and verse number 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of the angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass and a, or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never Faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there, there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. What an incredible passage on charity, which is love. Three observations in those first three verses is that words are empty without biblical love. He goes, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass and a, or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, listen, if my words don't have the weight of charity or love behind them, then they are absolutely empty words and of no value. He goes on in verse number two. 
And he says this, uh, he says spirituality is empty without biblical love. Look at what he says there. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Spirituality without the base of love is of no real value, even if you have great faith, even if you have great knowledge. We talk about knowledge a lot on Wednesday nights as we've been going through the book of Proverbs, and it's a wonderful book, uh, but then we, we, we complement that with wisdom, and that's deciding when to use that knowledge. And what he's saying is, listen, all knowledge, even all the knowledge of the Word of God and all the faith to be able to move mountains is not of any value if you have no love to back it up. And so he's pointing to the importance of charity. So words are empty without the biblical love. Spirituality is empty without biblical love. And then look at verse number 3. He says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Good deeds are empty without biblical love. In other words, you can do good deeds, and there are people who do good deeds. I promise you, there's many people who do good deeds, and maybe they have a lot of money, and, and, and they're, they're like, well, let's uh, give to this charity, and they give to this charity, but they don't have any love or compassion behind the good deeds that they're doing. Sometimes people do good deeds just to edify themselves. Say, well, look at me, look at what I do. I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that. And if it's not done out of a motive and a service of love, the Bible says, and Paul says, and God says, it's empty. It's of no value. And so the motive behind all of this must be driven by love. Uh, We don't have time to, to go through all of these, but in verse number four, we can see the helpfulness of biblical love. It suffereth long. It's kind. Uh, Listen, those are two things uh, that are helpful. Uh, If you can be long-suffering, what does that mean, suffereth long? That means patience under tribulation or trial. That means patience when people uh, don't like you or or say uh, unkind things to you. And being kind, uh, listen, that's almost a trait that's forgotten today. That's the helpfulness of biblical love. In verse number four, we also see the humility of biblical love. Because you can see there, it envieth not. You cannot love someone and envy that person at the same time. My daughter, uh, Rachel, she's been looking for a car. and uh, Well, actually, I got two cars. I, I feel like, a, a, sometimes I feel like a, a fleet manager of vehicles. All my kids are driving and all my kids got their own cars and they've bought them. And, uh, but if, if they're all boys, I tell them, go fix your own car. Micah, he, he got the short stick. He's a boy. And, uh, and I, he, the other day, his car was broke down for a week. And I'm like... You fix it. I ain't fixing it. I just don't have time. And, uh, and finally he got around to fix it. And he does. He, he does a good job. But uh, the girl's car breaks down. I'm like, man, I got to fix it. Um, and, and I got to help him out. And, and so, uh, so Rachel was looking for a car and she needed a car. And, and so she finally found a car. And, and now, and she got a really good deal on this car. And so now she owns the newest car in, in all the family. I mean, not just, not just the fact that she just got it, but it's also the newest in years. She owns a 2010. And, uh, and, and it really, it's, it's a nice-looking car. She got a good deal on it, and, and I'm amazed. And you know what? I am, I am really happy for her. Why? Her car is better than mine. I'll be honest with you. 
I've been driving it around because I want to test it, make sure it's all good before she goes back to school and stuff like that. And so uh, it's in good shape. And, and I've been driving it around. And I'm like, man, I, I'm about to send her back with my van. Keep her car. Because I like it. But I say that in jest. I'm, I'm really, I'm ecstatic for her. I'm happy. This is the first car she's ever bought. Her other car was given to her. And, uh, and she drove it. For three years, actually, her and Rebecca shared it their first year of Bible college, and then they drove it for three years uh, before it finally met its final def- des- destination in the graveyard, okay, of cars. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm glad. I am grateful. You know what? I cannot be envious of her and grateful for her or happy for her at the same time. That's not possible. Now, I'm glad for her. I really am. And I'm excited she gets to go back to college with a, with a nice-looking car and a decent car. And, and, uh, and it, the, the only bad thing is it's a stick. So she's been learning how to drive stick. That's the other reason I've been driving it around, because she's, she's not real familiar with that whole clutch idea. Uh, but she's getting it. She actually drove to church this morning all by herself. And, uh, and I, I think she didn't even stall it, she told me. So she's getting better. Um, but, uh, but really, it's, it's, a, it's nice. You know what? You can't envy somebody and love them at the same time. If, if something goes well for them, you're going to be happy for them. And, and you're going to be glad that things went well for them. Uh, and so we see the humility of biblical love and setting yourself aside. Uh, it also vaunteth not. The, that word means to be boastful uh, and saying, well, I, I do this and I do that. And we've discussed it in the past. Some people can't do good things without letting everybody else know, well, these are all the good things that I've done. Well, that's kind of vaunting itself. That's, that's telling everybody everything good that you've done. And, and he goes on in verse 4 and he says uh, that, that biblical love or charity is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It's not saying, hey, look at me and, uh, and trying to draw the attention to self. Uh, biblical love is humble. We see the helpfulness of biblical love. We see the humility of biblical love. In verse number 5, uh, we see the holiness of biblical love. Look at what it says there. Doth not behave itself unseen. Love behaves itself properly. True love, biblical love, behaves itself properly. It says there, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. We can see the holiness of biblical love. It goes on in verse number 6, and he says, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. The holiness of love. We go on in verse number 7, and we see the hardiness of true biblical love. Look at what it says in verse number 7. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. We're talking about biblical love. What an incredible description that is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We see the helpfulness, the humility, the holiness, and the hardiness of biblical love as it laid out in this chapter. And those first three verses tells us how that any service or anything that is done outside of love without the, the, the motivation of love behind it comes up empty and falls short and is in the end uh, of no value. And that's what he says as we see the description of love. But I want you to see the display of love as well. We've looked at the definition. We've looked at the uh, description. And I want you to see the display of love. Somebody once said Christians should be God's love with skin on. This is where it comes down to you and I. 
This is where we've looked at the fruit of love and we've looked at the definition and we've looked at the, the, uh, uh, the description of it as given in, in 1 Corinthians and we see all of that. But now we see the display and that comes down to me and you that we should display the love of Christ to the lost and dying world. Not just the lost and dying world, but even one another. Amy Carmichael, a, a missionary way back when in India, uh, she said you can, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. We gave this verse already, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What an unbelievable display of giving and of love that God showed towards us in giving us His own precious Son to die on Calvary and to take our place and to take our sins upon Himself and to forgive us of our sins. And we see that displayed uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and physically as He came to this earth. And listen, our love is, needs to be displayed as well. If God displayed His love uh, through giving, how could we do any less? We think about time. We think about giving in three different ways, not just, not just money. Uh, but listen, giving can incorporate a lot of things. Uh, it, can, it can incorporate time. Listen, Jesus came to this earth, and He lived on this earth 33 and a half years. Roughly thereabouts. We always, I always say 33 and a half. We don't, I don't know for sure. But around there, we know about 33 years. And he dedicated his time to live on this world. He left heaven and he took on the form of a man. It's time that he invested here on the earth with us. One time a teenage girl, she was her job to read her younger brother um, bedtime stories. And, and so she concocted a genius idea. She got tired of reading the stories every night and just was a bore to her and reading the same stories. And so she came up with this genius plan that she would just record them on a CD. And so she recorded them all on a CD and, and uh, with her voice reading them. And, and, uh, and so she went to her little brother and she said, now look at, uh, here's a CD and here's a CD player. And now you can just hit play and listen to those stories anytime you want. Little boy looked at the CD player and he thought about it. And after a while, he said, no, it hasn't got a lap. <laughs> it's not always about, you know, reading or sp it's spending time with those people. It's not the story. It's not hearing that bedtime story. It's physically being there with somebody else. Listen, God came to this world and he spent time here on this planet with us. Sometimes it's time and giving our time to God, and displaying our love in the form of time, taking time for others. How about talent? Giving the ability of you have. Jesus used his power to heal others while he was here on this earth, and it was a display of compassion for them. You think about the miracles and the, 
the things that he did and how he cleansed the leper and how he healed the lame and made them to walk and he touched the ears of the deaf and made them to hear and touched the eyes of the blind and made them to see and he raised up the Lazarus that was dead and some others that were dead and, and touched many people and many people were healed. That was a talent, that was a compassion. And listen, you might not have the same talent. Obviously, you would not have the talent to go around doing miracles that God would do. But listen, there are talents and there are abilities that we do have that we can use for God. Sometimes it's giving those talents and giving our time, giving our treasure. Jesus gave all that he had. He offered himself on the cross of Calvary. That was the greatest treasure. He shed his precious blood on the cross of Calvary. He gave everything that he had. He gave his time. He gave his talent. He gave his treasure, the very best that he could give, which was his own sacrificial blood on the cross of Calvary. He displayed his love towards us. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That we allow God to live through us. And we make spiritual choices by saying, God, use me. How is your love? Just as Jesus questioned Peter, lovest thou me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said again, lovest thou me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said the third time, lovest thou me? If Jesus were to ask us, if Jesus were to come down and inspect our fruit and say, how's the fruit? I'm checking the fruit of my fruit trees today. And I want to see the quality of love displayed on each one of my fruit trees, each one of my children. How would we fare as we think about that? With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. The fruit of love. We've seen the definition, we've seen the scriptural description of it. We see the display of it through Jesus Christ and oh how we should be Christians that are living out the fruit of the spirit, love displaying that to others displaying that back to God a love that gives a love that's not ending God I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart as only you can God you know our faults, our failures, our shortcomings. And God, we humbly ask you to help us to bear the fruit that you would have us to bear. To be Christians who are submitted to the Holy Spirit day in and day out, time and time again. God, that we would display this idea of love to one another, to you, and to the lost world. May we display the love of Christ to those around us. God, I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart. Father, if there's one here that does not know you, that's not born again, that's not saved, I pray that you would touch their heart. Father, show them their need for salvation. May they trust you today. 
We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Are we loving with the love of Christ?